Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, so uh, let's kick it over to our interview once again with Billy Lucci of Texags. Okay, we got a special guest lined up. We got the one and only Billy Lucci. Got to give him a follow at Billy Lucci. He's the co-owner of Texags. Billy, thank you so, so much for joining me. I really appreciate you. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you thinking about me for this one. I, I, I'm a big fan of following y'all's stuff, so it's perfect. Yeah, so, I mean, I got to ask you, you know, the huge news here. It's the, the hottest topic, not only in the SEC, but uh, in all of college football, Texas and Oklahoma. You know, not a done deal, but certainly looks to be the case. Moving to the SEC, how do you think this affects Texas A&M? I don't think there's literally a better person to ask this question. Yeah, and I've been, you know, I've been reading some of the stuff you've been writing about it, and I, I, we're like-minded in this. And, you know, it affects A&M. I'll put it this way. I think it affects A&M more than it does any of the other current 13 members without question. And I think that's kind of why you saw such a visceral reaction from Aggies and their fan base. And I think if, I don't think there was some sinister plot to leave A&M out of it. I think on the A&M side, uh, they need to do some digging in to find out why it wasn't much more well-known uh, <clears throat> throughout the, the chain of command at A&M. I think that that's an, an A&M thing more than it is an SEC thing. Although, you know, I, I think may, it, there should have been maybe a little more coordination to kind of get, get everyone situated and ready for it. But the Aggies' reaction, look, people have short memories. They forget 10 years ago what Texas and Baylor and Texas Tech were doing when A&M was leaving for the SEC and their efforts to thwart that move, both politically, the social media reaction. I, I, it's almost like times have changed so much, even in a decade. And, and the biggest thing that's changed, Mike, is A&M. I mean, it is, this is not the same Texas A&M that came to the league 10 years ago. Um, now, it may have seemed A&M hit the ground running. That was because a few first-round draft picks and Johnny Manziel, it was like the perfect perfect year to do it but even with johnny a heisman winner a transcendent player in college football the Aggies lost six conference games in two years and, and that was almost like the perfect timing of them coming in then they settled into that five loss uh that five loss kind of spin cycle seven and five eight eight and four every year see to me now this is a program that's grown they, they've come through that they hired a national championship head coach. They've built an SEC roster, one that looks a hell of a lot more like, you know, LSU, Georgia, Florida, than it does the other teams. I think their roster looks, you know, when you see them take the field, they look better than the Auburns and the Tennessees. And I, and I said before a played Florida this year, I thought the Aggies had more talent. And a lot of people – uh, made a pretty big deal out of, about that, and I thought they did. Uh, and, and I think it showed on the field, not just in that game uh, when they kind of wore Florida down, but really throughout 
the entire season as the season progressed. I mean, so they're, they're prepared for those battles. They're prepared to, you know, like sustain it in the conference for a long time. And that doesn't matter if Texas is in it or Oklahoma. And that's why I think Aggie fans uh, have taken a few days to kind of realize, like you've got the national championship head coach, you've got the facilities, the stadium, the location. You, By the way, you're still a member of the Southeastern Conference, mm-hmm. not like Texas is, and you're not. And, and, and they've, got, they've been in the league 10 years. They've got a coach now that's going into year four in the conference. He's been in the South forever and even in the league. The situation, they've got the roster. The situation is set up for long-term sustained success. You know, Texas A&M coming into the SEC did not damage LSU. I don't think I don't think there's much of a difference of Texas coming in. In fact, they're walking into what could end up, we'll see, whether it's a year or two, could end up being a couple of the best teams in A&M history. That, that is not off the table as a possibility. Uh, it might not be the best time for Texas to be joining the conference, and it might be the best time for the Aggies to kind of renew that rivalry. So it, I, I, don't, I think where it affects them, and you've talked about this, I believe. Uh, was it you that was talking about the recruiting? And, yeah, yeah, and that's that actually it, was going to be my next question because – Yeah, talk about that. That's the biggest complaint I've seen from Aggies. Well, we won't be able to pitch. You know, we're the only SEC school in the state of Texas. And I would agree with you. Ten years ago, that was probably uh, – you know, that would have been a sticking point for the Aggies. But the way I see it, Texas A&M – is has well surpassed Texas on the football field and they are no longer you know just going head to head against the Longhorns they're going against Alabama Georgia LSU Ohio State you name the elite that's who's that's who's coming into the state of Texas those are your competitors and uh, I I just think being the only school in the state of Texas from the SEC is not going to win those kids over what's going to win those elite Texas prospects is we'll get you to the NFL. We'll we'll compete for conference and national championships. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly. And you've got a national title head coach selling it. You've got last year's finish. You've got the trajectory. You've got the recent recruiting classes to sell. And I think you go and sell. Hey, whatever you thought the SEC was, it just got better. And guess what? Now. For a lot of these kids, this matters. I would start selling the Texas game. Say now you come. Not only do you get to play in the SEC, which you already were, but you're also going. We're also going to get to play in one of the biggest games in college football every single year. You're going to get to go play the Longhorns. You don't have to go there. We're going to play them and beat them. So, will, will this give Texas a? Texas is in a nice position on the recruiting front right now today because they've got a new coach with no at least in terms of the kids they're recruiting, there are no glaring negatives to Steve Sarkeesian. He's got no L's in Austin. Um, and, and they're now all of a sudden overnight selling the SEC, which is ironic because they spent the entire recruitment of these kids telling them how the SEC is not a big deal and overrated and all the other things, which as anyone that can do any research knows is insane. By the way, I'm just letting you all know, the Texas Longhorns and their fan base absolutely 1000% 
believe the SEC is overrated and it's Alabama and the 13 Dwarfs. They, they have convinced themselves over the span of a decade that that is the case. And, and playing close against LSU to start a couple of years ago and beating Georgia in that Sugar Bowl only confirms it in their mind. So, so just be ready because they laugh and scoff at any mention of the SEC gauntlet or grind or whatever you want to call it. But no, I, I think Texas will get a quick boost in recruiting. They're going to win a couple head-to-heads with A&M. Uh, it might help OU get over the top with a couple. The Aggies have typically had a lot of success against OU and State, even going back to Sumlin. Um, so they're going to they're going to get some, and that's fine. But Texas A&M not only is going to continue to recruit the state very well, Jimbo Fisher recruits nationally. And like you said the other day, they're fighting the Georgias and the Alabamas. And, and, uh, and you know, they, they flipped guys from Alabama. They fight LSU for guys. And they, they flipped guys recently from Georgia, two, maybe even three of them by the end of this year. They go pull kids out of out of Florida that Miami and Florida State and, and the Gators want. Like this is not a uh, local brand anymore. It's not a state brand. Jimbo Fisher and like you said, ten years ago, this would not have been good for A and M had they come over and then Texas said, "Hey, we're coming with you." Would not have been good. It's a different A and M. They're a national title hopeful. I, I wouldn't say they're they're in that, right there in that contender yet. But they're right there on the right there on the edge, and uh, a top ten program, top eight program, whatever you know, wherever Jimbo has that in a year or two, we'll see. I mean, we know how how tough it is. Any year you can slip and have to climb back, but I think they're building. All signs point to this one going in in the right direction and, and going fast. You don't worry about a top twenty program with a coach that has really accomplished next to nothing as a head coach coming into your league. So people need to take off. This is not Mac Brown. This is not Vince Young. This is not 2005. It's not even 2010. It, it, this is Texas that the reality is in four decades, they've been, they've been elite in one of them. And they've, that's it in four decades. They've been elite in one decade. Like, a&M is different in Texas. Here's the thing. Texas is different too, Mike, right? Mm-hmm. They ran roughshod over the Big 12. And I don't, I don't fault them from the standpoint, if you can do it, 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 it's every man for himself. It's looking out for number one. And no one did that better than Texas. And they, they it exerted every ounce of leverage they could and eventually cost the league Nebraska, cost the league Colorado, and then A&M, and then Missouri, and, and now it's essentially killed the conference. So, again, SEC, beware. But I don't think Chris Del Conte and the Longhorns are coming into the SEC and sitting across the table from LSU and Georgia and Florida and Alabama and, and dictating what's going to happen and how things are going to go. I just, I, it, It'll take a long time. And I don't think anybody sitting in, in a position of power today would still be there by the time that type of influence started over this league, if ever. And I don't think it ever will. And, and they're walking in and making the same amount of money as Vandy tomorrow, you know, when they when they join. So it's a different Texas, and it's a different A&M. And OU, by the way, 
I think Oklahoma is the biggest loser in this deal and they don't realize it yet. Um, I think the Sooners will stay good. They'll stay really dang good, but OU has been operating in a league where they have twice as much talent as the, their, their nearest competitor in every game, maybe against Texas, the talent gap isn't like that, but it, they're still that much better as a team, but twice as much talent in every conference game, but one every single season for the last 10 years. And I challenge anyone to honestly tell me that in the decade that A&M's been in the league, that Oklahoma would have appeared in maybe, maybe, maybe one, and certainly no more than one SEC championship game in that decade. And I feel like they've been in about seven or eight of, of them in, in the Big 12 during that stretch. So to me, OU walks in, it's like, man, they're formidable. They're really good. They're well coached. They're, you know, they're incredible on offense. Typically. Um, I say that so many of those yards and points against Bam and LSU came after halftime mm -hmm. uh, when LSU hung 50 in the first half. And I mean, th these are the type things like OU comes in and, and not to take anything away from them, but I think they walk in and they're like one of six. I mean, do you think I'm? Do you think I'm off on that to say the Sooners come in? They certainly strengthen the league, but are they anything different than one of six right now? No, they're just they're doing it. From what I understand, their their bottom line will increase by about twenty two million a year. So absolutely, that's why they're absolutely. doing it. And know? it's survival, and it's survival, right? I mean, it's it's getting out, it's getting out ahead of of. You know, you, you know the the disasters coming. You know, you know there's a Category Five aimed directly at the Big Twelve coming mm -hmm. out of the Gulf, and and you're getting the heck out of town. You're not going to be that that person just sitting back and riding it out. So them, them in Texas, they they had a nice house, you know, up in the hill country, and they got in their cars and drove over there and said, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and do this. And I think uh, it's the same thing with Mike Slive. I'm gosh. Freudian slip there. It's the same thing with Greg Sankey and the SEC. I, I think Sankey is, you know, and, and it frustrated a lot of A&M people because Slive did make the promise that Texas would never come in without A&M's approval. But times change. The landscape of college football looks nothing like it did a decade ago. And, and I do think he's looking ahead going, we're going to have to get to 16 soon or at some point. So why not? I mean, Texas, no, you and Notre Dame seem to be the only three prizes out there and we can go get two of them. And then who knows in his mind, Mike, I think he could be sitting there uh, looking ahead to 2024, 20, if not being the Roger Goodell of a 32 team Saturday league that looks a hell of a lot like the NFL and, and, and signs a billion dollar TV deal. I mean, these are all things that if you're looking 5, 10, 15 years down the road, I don't think they're off the table. And I think he's trying to stay one step ahead and also keep those two teams from going to the Big Ten or ACC. Well, speaking of uh, the, you know, the college landscape changing, I really wanted to ask you about name, image, and likeness. Of course, uh, Tex Ags is in the forefront of this with uh, the deals with Isaiah Spiller and Damani Richardson. You know, those have been well documented. But what I really wanted to ask you, is there a program out there that stands to gain more than the Yaggies? Because the way I see it, 
you got such a huge alumni base and and everything that goes along with the A&M program and you add to that just a just an absolute desire to to get that championship mm-hmm. uh, I mean is there a better program in the country uh, with NIL now legal uh, you know poised to, to gain from that than Texas A&M I actually think I, and I don't know what what Notre Dame's doing with that or, or USC. I think those are a couple of the other ones that could be big winners. But I, I think A and M and actually Texas are are two right now that if you look at, at what they're capable of with the money, um, it, it's certainly it for everybody it's finite. I know everybody thinks well, the money's never ending in in Texas right now and with. Aggies and Longhorns it is but they'll be two of the last ones standing I'll put it that way so yeah I think A&M and Texas both and you mentioned something that was interesting to me just then the hunger of A&M I had someone text me this morning that said you know what this might actually be a shot in the arm for for A&M in terms of the NIL and facilities I know there, there's a huge facilities push going on right now behind the scenes um, they're they're going to what's already what already terrific facilities are about to get a major upgrade um i I do think though that sense of urgency that a&m has felt since joining the sec because it was kind of a if we're doing this it has to work we can't be arkansas or south carolina like that would be the disaster of all disasters to leave and, and, and kind of get swallowed up by the league and that hasn't happened well, it hasn't happened because they went all in with the stadium and facilities when they joined the conference. They went all in to go get Jimbo Fisher and a contract that people uh, that people were ridiculing when it was when it was signed. And now it's like it might be time for an extension and a raise. Like A and M, every step of this way has gone all in. And I think with Texas, no, you coming in, particularly Texas, I think you're going to see the donors and the ones that the, the money men and women sit up and go okay well once again we got to step up and and not only keep the pace but stay ahead of the stay ahead of everyone so yeah and i think the nil is an opportunity to do that so i do think i think the aggies and longhorn both uh really stand to benefit which is going to be interesting to watch recruiting in this state over the next say five years or, or so because it's fascinating because Bama can come in and get guys when they want them for the most part. You know, Ohio State comes in and gets guys. Here's the one thing I'll say of all this stuff we talked about, right? This is still about Jimbo Fisher. It's still about you have given a national title head coach everything he needs to succeed, and and he's brought the program to a certain level where, where they are close to being able to, you know, plant that flag at the top of the mountain they're not there but they're getting you can see them getting there you can see it getting closer and if you look around college football whether it's conference affiliation nil recruiting advantages built in or otherwise you know just like the a&m texas thing or texas jimbo fisher has recruited top six classes virtually every season he's been a head coach it's just what he does so so to me, like it, it's about the head coach. Look at Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. Look at LSU and Alabama before Nick Saban saved both of the pulled both of them out of the out of the doldrums. Look at Florida 
it's Spurrier, it's Urban. Look at everyone else for the most part. Um, USC without Pete Carroll. Oklahoma before Bob Stoops got there. We mentioned Texas outside of the Mac Brown era. It is in this sport, I think more than any, it's about the head coach. Um, and, and I think, again, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. It's about the head coach, and that's pretty much it. So, I, and I know we were talking about getting getting this in when uh, my fence wasn't getting fixed, but it looks like that <laughs> that didn't happen. But you know, what I'm saying though, it, it's the head coach. Period. And A and M's got their guy, and it's been they they they've been looking for their guy since uh, since R C Slocum was fired. You know, they've been kind of wandering in the desert for a while, and there's been moments, and, and Kevin Sumlin came the closest to getting them to turn the corner was unable to, was unable to, you know, kind of finish that job, but they went out and they paid and they got the guy. And so all this stuff, it's all well and good, but the reason they're winning is they've got a head coach that knows how to build a national championship program. And I remember the day he got the job, I told him, I said, well, to me, you know, you'd built a national title. I mean, you, I told him he built an sec West, power in Tallahassee the way they played the type players they had the talent they had even the style of play I was just like that was an SEC West title team you know that was that was a team that would have challenged Bama you know throughout that run that was a team that was that's what he built there in Tallahassee and 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 to hire a guy that has been there done it and done it in the way that A&M needed it done that's what he's doing here, and I think you, I think anyone that doesn't see that uh, just isn't paying attention, or they're deliberately ignoring it. Well, speaking of Jimbo, do you think this is going to be his best Aggie team to date? Because I'm hearing from NFL people, and, and man, they're all over this Mike Elko defense, and they're seeing draft pick, draft pick, draft pick, draft pick all over the defensive, uh, you know, depth chart there. Uh, And at SEC Media Days, that was my biggest takeaway from the Aggies was, you know, a lot of talk about the Alabama game, but other talk was, well, hell, you guys just went nine and one. You know, you were number, what was it, five in the country at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. How can you build off that? And and basically all said that was that was a, a disappointment. They didn't call it a failure, but they basically said that was that was not good enough. So, uh, I mean, it certainly seems like they have the swagger that you need. Do you think this is uh, going to be the best A&M team yet under Jimbo? It could be. Um, last year's was really good. People didn't appreciate that <clears throat> that team, I don't think. You know, uh, I think their last seven games, they won by two touchdowns or more. That's a pretty ridiculous stretch. You know, even the LSU game, everybody was kind of down on them after that performance. That game was 20 to nothing before the third quarter was up. And it was twenty to nothing with thirty seconds left in the game, like that. And that was that was on their bad day, forty-two seventeen over Arkansas through three. They won an Orange Bowl by more than two touchdowns. They went into Auburn and it was a four-quarter game, but they won that by by I think well maybe that was thirteen points. But you know they they went and handled business week after week. It was a really good team. This one has a chance to be better. Yeah, you talked about that defense. They returned 9 of 11, but more importantly, I think they returned 20 of 22. And this is a team, now this is some uh, this is some Bama, Georgia, LSU type stuff when you start saying it out loud, but they signed four 
five-star uh, players in this in this past class that are going to be true freshmen this year. And, you know, there's a chance that uh, a Bryce Foster could work his way in the starting lineup at guard, maybe. But there's also a possibility that those four guys are, are – role players that, that get their real chance in, in year two. Um, and, and that's pretty, that's kind of tells you what this team, where this team's at in terms of how loaded it is. The one position, you know, the, the, the wide receiver position could be anywhere from solid to really good. That depends on, you know, Caleb Chapman and, and DeMond Demas on the outside, mm-hmm. how, how quick, you know, d- is, does DeMond start to live up to that five-star building? He didn't really play much last year started to impress them in practice late in the season, especially this spring. Chapman, last time we saw him, he was lighting up Florida and then tore his ACL. So if those two guys come on, then then look out. But running backs, tight end, experience at receiver, do-it-all guy in Anaya Smith. And then the the big question to me is the offensive line. You lost four starters. Only one of those got drafted, but you lost four starters. You return a first-round pick in Kenyon Green, but beyond that, it, it's uh, it, it, there's a lot of new faces, and you have a new quarterback. You lost a senior QB, and you have a new offensive line. If if it if it doesn't end up being a team that plays in a New Year's Six Bowl or competes for a a playoff berth or SEC title, I think you would look at and say, man, it was just too much to overcome with a first-year starter at quarterback and, and, and a young kid at that, whether it's Calzada or King, and a brand-new O-line. But on the flip side, two of those O-linemen likely to start are in year three and four, respectively, in the program. I mentioned Green. You're bringing in Tennessee transfer, Jameer Johnson, who started three years for the Vols. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a ton of talent at that other guard spot. So uh, talent-wise, I think they're going to be much better up front. It's just you're throwing a bunch of guys together that haven't, you know, a couple of them haven't played a lot of football. You're throwing in a guy from Tennessee. You're moving green from guard to tackle. So it's a legitimate question, but I'm I'm just telling you, this is a uh, Jimbo can work around it. I think, I think the schedule affords that. There's not a Clemson in game two, like there were his first two years uh, at the helm here. There's not an, an Alabama in, in your second conference game. You play Alabama, I think, in week six. So it, it is uh, it's manageable. There are some potential tripping points with at Colorado in week two, Arkansas, you know, at Jerry World, and then Mississippi State comes the week before Bama. A and M style of play, they, they're just typically not going to just walk over teams. They're going to wear them down. So I think those are challenges. But you know how it is, Mike. When you look at the SEC schedule, you're looking for these three-game stretches that you're like, how in the hell are we ever going to navigate that? Mm -hmm. And you're looking for the back-to-backs of Bama and LSU or, or, you know, oh, there's three in a row. We're on the road at LSU and and Ole Miss. And, oh, good, right before that we get, you know, we get Auburn at home. There's none of that on this schedule. There really isn't. And and, – the two times A&M has gotten what I would call a favorable schedule draw since joining this league were their first year and this past year. And they, and they went a combined 20 and three, uh, those two seasons. And they went 
they went nine and one and six and two. So they were fifteen and three in SEC games those two years. And and I think this schedule kind of sticks out in that regard as well. So we'll see if A and M's up to the task. But but you know they always say the SEC does you no know, favors in terms of schedule. This is the closest thing to a to a favor that that you'll get in the league. Well, Billy, I really appreciate all the time you've given me, but I, I do got to ask you real quick, it, maybe if it's just a total shot in the dark, who do you think wins this quarterback comp- competition, Zach Calzada or Hayes King? I think I've been going with Haynes King, and, and I always I don't like saying that because I've seen Calzada's kind of ascension since the start of last football season till now, and it's been it's been pretty dang noticeable it's been market improvement and when you see that that trajectory typically continues you know when you see that in in, in a young guy and they turn this corner especially with a coach like Jimbo and and he's got as as somebody described to me from day one he's got a Sunday arm Mm -hmm. no question but what I like about Haynes is just the intangibles how he checks every box you know in terms of coach's son picked up Jimbo's very complicated offense almost overnight which was that that was something that had everybody kind of talking um but you start looking at all that and then it's that he can throw better than most running quarterbacks can throw and and he in other words he can beat you throwing the ball there's no question this is not a guy that's a runner he's a quarterback he just doesn't have the calzada arm but he can throw and he can really run it, it. The guy I ran a four four five during the off season at about six three. He's not like a you know John Reese Reese Plumley type guy who's a shorter, more compact. This is a six three kind of gangly guy that ran a four four five. His speed is going to cause significant problems for defenses. It's going to give Jimbo all kinds of flexibility calling plays. And again, that's something that you can't really get a feel for in practice as to how dangerous and and how problematic he's going to be for defenses and how much that's going to open things up for both him and the offense. So I think that's kind of a built-in advantage uh, in that race because coaches know that when they're watching these two guys perform. And it's kind of like that thing that's always kind of hanging in the back of your mind. It reminds me of, you know, Kellen Mond versus Nick Starkle. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Johnny Manziel versus Jameel Showers, you know, when, when uh, Kevin Sumlin first got here. You have to understand there's a little something that you're just not going to see in practice. So if all things are equal, uh, you know which way they're going to go. So to me, it, it puts the onus on Calzada where he's going to have to be noticeably better. And I, I, I think Haynes, Haynes has a chance to be pretty special, I, I believe. But, you know, it's going to be what happens when the games are are getting played and things like, you know, with Jimbo, man, it's going to be decision-making with the football at critical moments and, and who's going to throw the ball to the open tight end eight yards down the field and not take the shot, the lower risk shot 40 yards down the field, even though you've got one-on-one coverage, but there's the eight wide open for a 14-yard game. You know, those those are the type things that'll set the two apart. But again, I think, I think Haynes has the mental, I think he has the physical and I think the the guy's just kind of got that it factor in the huddle. 
All right, he's Billy Lucci. Got to give him a follow at Billy Lucci. He's the owner of the go-to site for Texas A&M Info, Texags. I really appreciate you, Billy, and I, I cannot imagine the uh, comments you're having to moderate over there at Texags right now, now with the Longhorns headed to the SEC. Well, uh, it's been... It's been fun. It really has. Like I, I'm all about the I'm all about the Twitter venom and and it's just it's it, it it's a rivalry. You know, like I didn't want to deal with. It's been nice not dealing with them, uh, and it's been nice just kind of knowing how much they wish they were in the conference that they couldn't be in. It's been it's been a fun little uh, element to the to what had become a Twitter only rivalry. And I didn't want to see A&M play them because contrary to what they would ever admit, and now they're essentially admitting it, even though they don't think they are, they needed that game because the Big 12 was a dying league and they played OU every year in Norman. They needed A&M at home between their big home and homes with LSU and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan, Florida. They needed A&M on the home schedule in between because there was nothing. And they couldn't go add, you know, these other they, – they needed A&M on there, and they wanted it, and it was just not – didn't make any sense for A&M to add that game to the SEC and say, okay, we're going to play y'all when we have to win three of four because splitting with you guys is an, is, a, is an advantage Texas. So we have to win both if we do one home and home. We have to win three of four if we play, you know, two home and homes. If we play every year, we pretty much have to win about – probably seven out of 10 to get a noticeable boost from it. And, you know, cause it's a boost that A&M didn't need and Texas did. Now you're in the same league. Let's tee it up and play every single year. The one thing I don't want, Mike, is the one thing I don't want is this pod thing to be, if they did it. And I know it's, it's far from, mm-hmm. uh, it's just something that we're all talking about for fun. But if they did, I would want to see, I, don't give don't give A and M fans and, and throw the Aggies a bone here after everything that went down. Don't give a, a Big Twelve pod. Nobody in maroon and white wants to see Missouri, OU, and Texas every single year. People, the, the fans don't want it. That's not why they left and joined the SEC. And by the way, did the SEC? You know, it, not that the SEC wasn't going to be the preeminent power. But by A&M moving over to that league and not going to the Pac-16, it certainly kind of helped kill one league. And then if you think about the Aggies deciding, no, Texas, we're not going to do that, that shifted the balance of power or kept it where it is for a long time in college football and probably permanently. Because had Texas gotten their way and A&M not made that call to Mike Slive, you're talking about – Texas OU A&M and whoever else it was was Oak State mm-hmm. in the Pac-16 the balance of power shifting to at least some degree out west instead you had A&M come over SEC gets into Texas and that was a, a, a 10 years later that was kind of that something that set up you know OU and Texas coming over and now it's kind of permanent the SEC is permanently entrenched so yeah I just I don't I think you. Well, who go, would you want to see in A and M's pod then? I'd like to see LSU and the Mississippi schools, and then Texas, OU, Missouri, and Arkansas with a permanent. You know, it sounds like if they did do pods, 
it makes sense that there would be, you know, what you would call, I guess everybody would have a permanent crossover, mm-hmm. kind of like what they have now. And and that one, yeah, heck yeah, make that the Longhorn. I absolutely want to see A&M and Texas playing every year. It would make no sense at all for those two teams to be in the same league and not play every year. And what it would also do, it would allow Texas and that former, S, you know, that, that former uh, Southwest Conference rival, Arkansas, they're big rivals in a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. And it would, it would have Texas playing OU and A&M every year. A&M would be playing Texas and LSU every year, which I think LSU, even though, even though the Tigers don't see it that way, there's a long history between A&M and LSU in, in a lot of sports. It's starting to get really interesting in football. And I just think that's a lot more natural. You have the the in-state rivalry in Austin, and you have their their neighbors to the east. You know the border rivalry with LSU. So I, I think that would be ideal if they did it that way. But again, it just sounds too easy, too convenient. You know, it's going to be something different than that. Mm-hmm. All right, Billy, I I do do not want to take up any more of your time, but I really really appreciate you. And, uh, hey, man, let me know if I can ever return the favor. I'm, I'm happy to do it.